Lance and More Radio. If I touch my shoulder, it would touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what the hell is that? Welcome to Spirits and More Radio. It has been a very long time since I've uh, hosted a show. Uh, We did our last show was actually kind of unique because it was uh, basically just uh, someone telling their story. So there wasn't a lot of uh, questions and things like that, like our typical show format. But uh, we've done a lot of shows. I believe this is show 23. And uh, I've been wanting to do a show about demons for a really long time. It just kind of fits right in with everything that uh, that we've been doing on this show. And it's the one thing that we haven't really touched on, uh, sort of on the spookier evil side of things. Uh, I do have some ideas for a show about uh, like angels and uh, and also people who uh, nearly escape death and, and maybe see something. So those are some show ideas coming up in the future. But uh, demons are, are one of those things, uh, you know, as we talk about, it's getting close to Halloween. Believe it or not, it's September (laughs) and, uh, you know, Halloween is, uh, up on the horizon and demons are a big part of that in horror movies. Uh, I think the, you know, obviously ingrained in society's mind is the exorcist and, uh, and we'll kind of talk about that and how that aspect of demons kind of plays into everything because, uh, you know, there's lots of different references in history to demons, uh, starting all the way back, uh, with the Greek society and, uh, mythology and things like that, where demons weren't really evil. They were just uh, a spirit that didn't have a place. And, uh, and so, uh, eventually it kind of morphed into, evil and and then pagan gods and things like that. So uh, I've got my list of demons up here, then we'll probably check them out at some point during the show. But I wanted to do this show with someone who uh, who's in kind of like interested in the same thing. And uh, I'm a fan of podcasts. And so what I do is uh, I actually go when I go to sleep at night, I pick a podcast and I put it on <laughs> and it just runs all the shows in the night as I sleep. So uh, I'm sure I'm getting some subliminal uh, programming from some of these shows. But one of the shows that I like a lot uh, and has to do with this topic is uh, Southern Demonology. And that show is done by JJ. And uh, JJ, you're here with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you could uh, could be on the show and we could talk about this. Uh, I know that in your show, you do share some experiences that sort of uh, inspired you to do a, a podcast. Is that right? It is, uh, although I wouldn't say so there. I think there's a, a big difference in types of demonology. Um, I take it from a historical perspective. Um, so I'm, I'm not a modern practitioner of anything. Uh, I really have no experience with that besides keeping up with the latest tales. Uh, but really, I've always have taken things from a, uh, a biblical uh, perspective and really kind of analyzed that. Um, and in the show, I'll also mix in some other, you know, mythos as well. But yeah, and you've uh, now you've done what about there were seven episodes, and you just told me you released another one yesterday. Is that right? 
I did. Yep. So we've uh, I took a little bit of a, a break um, because of work um, and a couple of other issues. But yep, everything's fully back online and uh, starting to go strong again. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm kind of kind of the same way. You know, I, I told you uh, before the show that I moved and I had to pull all my stuff out. And uh, if there's an electronics demon out there that doesn't like electronics, it got my laptop today <laughs> because it's not doing anything it used to do. And uh, I understand. All <laughs> is a problem. I'm looking at it right now and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you guys uh, listening to this didn't hear anything different. But the way that this all works and all the equipment that's involved, uh, you know, it can be set up different ways. And today it's like a totally different way. I've been working on this, trying to figure this thing out for a while. But uh, anyway, back to your show. So you've done several different things. I know you were inspired to do the show by something that happened to you, I believe, in Japan. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I wouldn't say that was demonic. It was probably, if it was anything, it was probably more of a, a spirit. But uh, yeah, it was very early in the morning, probably 5.30 or 6 a.m. Uh, uh, Japan time. And I had just fallen asleep and uh, suddenly had a dream where I, I had this so the room itself was extremely small, it was maybe 400 square foot, which by that standard was actually pretty big. Uh, but I had a gigantic balcony, and I dreamed that there was something trying to get in. And it spoke in a voice that was not something that you could hear, but it was pressure. It was something – psychic pressure, some type of pressure. It's, it's an experience I have never had before, and I don't know how a dream could have conjured that in such a realistic and frightening way. Uh, but it kept saying the word Haidu, Haidu, and it just, the intensity kept getting up to the point where it was causing physical pain. And then I woke up to a my mobile device um, uh, having an earthquake alarm uh, spring up, and it was a very small one. But so I'm very lower intermediate in Japanese, even though I lived there for a year and a half or so. Uh, but went to go look up this word because I wasn't quite sure uh, what it was, and it means to enter. So let me in, let me in is what it was saying, and I knew. Wow just knew within the foundations of my bones that if that ever happened, I would not be living to tell you this. <laughs> so. so it was like a pressure. It wasn't really sound, but it was almost like um, just pressure on your head. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. It was almost as if um, this command was being physically implanted into my brain. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, yeah, it, 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 it was by and far the most unique and horrifying experience I think I've ever had. <laughs> now, do you, when it was happening to you, you said it was scary. So there was something about it that felt evil or not right? Oh, I, it, everything about it was so alien. And I knew that it was... It, it meant me uh, physical and spiritual harm. Wow. Um, there's and so in Japanese culture, first uh, yurei, which are ghosts, are very well accepted. I mean, almost everyone believes that. You know, in all of these uh, types of concepts, and I happen to live right next to a graveyard, um, which was in the middle of this of Asakusa, which is where I was located at. And uh, there's a custom where if you walk by a graveyard then you are to have purified salt in your room because things will latch onto you and follow you back. And I had just made a trip that night out to the convenience store to grab something, walked by the graveyard like I normally do, and I don't know if something just latched onto me or what it may have been, but um, I, I definitely kept purified salt in my room after that. Wow, that's interesting. You know, I had the opportunity to travel to Japan, and uh, I stayed in Osaka, <coughs> Japan, in a friend's house, and they have uh, one of the rooms that I stayed in, they had a little uh, altar, like a shrine set up, where they would pray, and I guess it was for their grandmother, 
And so as, uh, you know, just before, you know, they were checking on me, you know, to see that if I needed anything or whatnot, uh, my friend's brother said, you know, have fun with my grandma or something like that, (laughs) something along the lines of maybe you'll see my grandma tonight, you know, because that was her room and they had the little shrine set up there. Oh, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stories about that in a Japanese culture. In fact, uh, on Amazon Prime Videos, uh, there's a specific channel called J-Edge, and they have a lot of these spoken tell kind of stories that are translated to English. And there's quite a few of those in which uh, a person would hear a sound from a room that was just recently vacated by a deceased family member, and they would come and give signs that they were actually there. So it's all really, really interesting. Yeah. I always wonder about that, you know, other cultures and other places, if they put any weight into, you know, ghosts in the afterlife and things like that. But uh, what we're talking about today is specifically demons. Now you started a show, you know, Southern Demonology. Why did you pick demonology? Um, so I actually have a master's degree in Second Temple Judaism and the Pseudepigrapha, which are the collection of religious writings written in between um, the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament. Um, it's a phenomenal collection of works. Uh, it is so interesting. You have to study a very broad array of languages to be able to get to the nitty gritty of a lot of these books and uh, got the chance to do that. But uh, I really focused all of my time in school uh, looking at angelology and demonology because those were the most fascinating topics to me. Um, So, and whenever someone would ask me, what in the world did you study? And I would get a little bit into it. uh, They seemed to be really fascinated by the concepts um, that I was able to go through. And eventually someone just said, hey, why in the world don't you start a podcast about this? And I hate the sound of my own voice. I'm not one that tries to go out and toot my own horn. Uh, So I was really against the concept in the beginning. But the more I thought about it, the more the idea appealed to me and until finally I broke down and did it. I see. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a lot of work. A lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, just to do a show, if you want to somewhat know what you're talking about, you know, you have to uh, research every topic. Uh, yours is a little more specific to demonology, but you probably moved into other things as well, um, you know, as you sort of try and broaden you know, the content of the show, but, uh, you know, demons, I mean, coming from my perspective, I mean, you know, demons are something that you see in horror movies. Uh, you know, I don't know anyone who's ever been possessed. I don't know if demons are real in that sense. You know, there's probably people who, you know, believe in demons and what's been written about them. And then there's probably lots of people who just assume that's like ghosts or anything else and they don't exist. Uh, you know, so there's people listening to this all across the gamut. Uh, so I guess that there's, there's sort of like three buckets, you know, of, of demons. There's the demons in your head, (laughs) you know, that people sort of, uh, deal with, uh, you know, proverbial demon. And then there's, uh, you know, demons as they've been written about in scripture, as you said, which is sort of like where your knowledge base rests. And then there's people who claim to be, uh, possessed by demons, which, um, you know, the, the Catholic church has done some exorcisms and that's what is tied into the movies that most people associate with demons. So I guess, uh, let's, let's take it back. Let's go back, uh, as far as we can go back and talk about maybe the first writings about demons, where was, and a demon specifically, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a entity without a body and, uh, within the writings of various religions has been to torment other people on earth or possess them in a way. Is that what a demon in your opinion is? Uh, yeah, it pretty much follows along that line. Uh, so there are two different types of 
entities. You have supernatural entities and you have preternatural entities. Uh, and this is a distinction that um, Malachi Martin, uh, who wrote a phenomenal book on the subject of possession called uh, Hostage to the Devil, The Possession and Exorcism of Five Contemporary Americans, um, kind of made the distinction about. Uh, so supernatural entities are things that used to be human that no longer occupy physical space, uh, but yet can sometimes still interact with the world around us. Whereas preternatural entities are those that have never been human, that are tied to either uh, a locale, a time period, um, or an individual person. In fact, that's why uh, the Catholic uh, rites of uh, Roman ritual, the rites of exorcism, uh, it actually specifies two different types of um, exorcisms. You can have um, an exorcism of person or an exorcism of locale. I see. <clears throat> that, and that's, that's really helpful to know that there's a, kind of those two categories. Um, what... Um, I guess, you know, as we, as we look at that, what has been the writing? Because I have a, I, I pulled up, obviously, you know, these days with the internet, there's so much information, but someone has compiled, of course, on Wikipedia, theological demons and names that go with them. And what I found most interesting as I sort of was doing the research on this is uh, there are demons for various religions, Christian demons, there's Jewish demons, there's, uh, you know, Chaldean demons and mythology. There's, there's all Hindu even, you know, so there's all these different, uh, demons that have been given a name, you know, which I find is interesting because it's like, how, <clears throat> I guess this, this kind of goes back, I guess this in my mind is someone who hasn't studied this stuff and, and just sort of looking at this list, I sort of look at it and think to myself, this is very similar to when people didn't understand certain things about the world and the brain and how things work. And people created gods for the rain gods and the fire God and the prosperity gods. And, you know, sort of that pagan list of just various entities that sort of could, could influence or affect you in your life. And, and you had to somehow uh, appease them. You know, I look at this list and I think to myself, how did somebody decide that this one Archeron or whatever, um, just taking a look here, Hat was the creator God and, you know, somehow becomes, you know, tied to a specific name and a demon. Like, how do you feel about that? What, what is, what's your take on the fact that there's a list of, you know, 250 different names that people have associated with something to be a demon? That is a really good question. Um, so there are, within very specific contexts, there are, you can trace back exactly why something became known as a demon or a god. Like, for example, you take the contrast between Hinduism and Zoroastrianism. Um, Zoroastrianism actually has the oldest religious writings of any religion in the known world. Um, they both came from one specific set of people, the Proto-Iranians. Uh, they split off, and then you had the, the gods of Hinduism, and you had the god the main god, uh, Ahura Mazda of Zoroastrianism, those two groups grew to diametrically oppose each other. So you'll find the gods of Hinduism have become the demons of Zoroastrianism and wow. vice versa. <laughs> um, but more, I think most people are probably more familiar with the Christian concept of what demons are. And yeah, you have entire rank and files that have been dictated. Some of these do come from uh, biblical sources. Uh, for example, uh, what most people know as, um, uh, you know, um, Beelzebub uh, is actually a combination of two different words, Baal Zebub, uh, the Lord of the Fly, uh, that comes directly from the um, the Hebrew Bible. However, a lot of those things are inferences. Um, however, uh, you find a lot of demonic names uh, listed within Pseudepigrapha. Uh, there's books like uh, Jubilees and First Enoch, uh, especially First Enoch. You have 
Um, do you mind if I go into a small little story here? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. Just uh, uh, one one thing I would say is that you know because you're so versed in the terminal the terminology and the terms uh, for us who have never studied this before. Just keep in mind if you throw out a, a term out there, maybe if you could give us a little background on exactly you know what that means and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So the pseudepigrapha is this collection of texts that literally translated from Latin means false epitaphs. Um, so there's a lot of really intriguing questions that come up in the Hebrew Bible. And you'll find later writers in the Second Temple Judaism period, which is roughly around like 180 uh, BCE to 70 CE, um, they wrote these texts to try to either advocate for a position or to uh, try to, uh, with other biblical sources, answer why something happened the way it was or is written the way it was. Um, so that's what all of these texts uh, came about as. But in First Enoch, it tells the st- uh, it retells the creation story because in Genesis 6, you have this um, this really mysterious passage which talks about the sons of God. Uh, and then it talks about uh, the Nephilim, these giants. And rabbis have kind of been scratching their heads over that for a long time. Does this mean that ancient Judaism was polytheistic? It believed in multiple gods or what in the world this was? And so first Enoch tried to clarify that passage by retelling the creation story. And it said that um, – you know, when God put um, the generations of men and women upon the face of the earth, um, angels were set to look over them and protect them. They were called the watchers. Well, there is uh, the watchers looked upon the daughters of man and saw how comely they were and decided that they wanted to take them as wives. So they bound each other in a curse, went down to earth propagate it with the daughters of man, and that produced the Nephilim, these giant bloodthirsty creatures that would fornicate with anything and everything they could possibly get their hands on. Um, so this is actually what caused the deluge, which ended the, that first generation of the world, uh, according to First Enoch. So and you find that a lot of these demons be, were actually – remnants of the watchers and that's a very common theme you'll find all the way throughout uh, second temple judaism where you have these um, angels that were either set to look over the generations of man or were an angel that was supposed to look over a particular nation that would turn against israel or against their original purpose and then they were kind of classified as the original demons I see. And were they without body? In other words, were these just complete, uh, you know, entities that did not actually exist type of thing? That's right. Yeah, they were essentially, uh, they had uh, uh, spiritual bodies only in terms of the Watchers. The Nephilim were a very special case because they were both the product of the spiritual and the physical. So when they were wiped out, their spirits didn't go anywhere. They actually just went up into the heavens and kind of circled around. Uh, and that's why there's such a uh, pervasive problem. And most people would think, well, what relevance does this really have to anything now? Um, if you actually look in um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you will find texts that are specifically geared against uh, these types of spiritual invasions. Uh, there's a really interesting one that was found in K4, and it's uh, labeled 4Q, 5, 10, and 11, where it goes, um, you know, and I, the instructor, uh, am making a proclamation of his, uh, of, of his glory in order to instill dread and to terrify all of the spirits of the angels. Angels of destruction, the spirits of the bastards, demons, Lilith, howlers, desert dwellers, and those who suddenly strike in order to uh, uh, charm hearts. I see. <clears throat> so, so these, uh, so the idea is that people, um, those, uh, those very old stories. What you're saying is that, from a spiritual perspective there is some case to be made that those entities still exist and and possibly torment people today. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, if you really, if you believe these ancient texts, then there is nothing that would prevent these things from being able to to get loose. In fact, within um, within the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the Essenes is who we believe were the uh, the group that was responsible for producing these documents. They really believed that time itself was the temple. Uh, where you had, you know, each wall was a set um, frame of days, which equaled 360 days. Uh, they also believed in a solar calendar, and that meant that there were four days that were outside of this this holy temple, and those were the days in which any demonic entity could come in and cause trouble, no matter how pious an individual happened to be. I see. So is there in Christian or in Catholicism, the church has come up with specific rituals, prayers to remove a demonic entity from a person. Is that yes. seen in the other faiths and Jewish faith and Islam and Buddhism? Do they have some kind of similar thing going on to deal with demons in their culture? Um, y- y- yes, to an extent. Uh, like, for example, um, Judaism, although it has words for um, a-, a negative place to be, whether it be Sheol or uh, Tehetra, um, they're not it's not really considered pure hell. And although there are dark spirits, um, there's nothing that I, at least that I'm aware of within modern Judaism in which prescribes something to try to, you know, get rid of a demon that might possess a person. I could be very wrong. I am not the most knowledgeable when it comes to modern Judaism. So I apologize if I got that completely wrong In other faiths, you do find the same things. Um, you know, whether it's, um, I think all Christianity kind of shares this. There are uh, some very predominant, uh, you know, uh, sects within Protestantism. Uh, Catholicism definitely has it, although they try to steer away from it. Uh, and then Orthodoxy, you'll find every every one of those shares a um, a connection to uh, exorcism. You do find similar things uh, within certain strands of Buddhism. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not. When it comes to like uh, other religions, I'm not the most um, the, the most educated, so I don't want to go any further than that. <laughs> right, right, I understand. So uh, it's funny because you mentioned Lilith, and uh, I have uh, there was a friend, a uh, guy who co-hosted this friend of mine lives up in Los Angeles, <clears throat> and um, he's kind of more involved in uh, exploring with occult type things. And uh, Lilith is one that's on the list of, uh, you know, within the cult community that sort of uh, has a prominent place. And I was just curious about, you know, demons are shared within si- sort of the occult and, and uh, you know, uh, paganism and things like that as well. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. The, uh, Lilith especially is a really fascinating um uh, character that you'll find she you know she started off life in Sumerian as a wind goddess and then uh, at some point in time she became kind of a more generalized night hag and you'll find specific references to her in Ezekiel uh, where she lives in the du- desert Dudael which is where all of the bad things um, in the Hebrew Bible happen to reside um, and then at some point uh, she became became the first wife of Adam. And I think it's because of that strange transition uh, that she features prominently in a lot of, um, you know, in a lot of different types of circles. Yeah, it says, uh, for those who aren't familiar, um, it says that uh, Lilith is sort of the demon of the night. There's a sexual component to her. Uh, She supposedly steals babies in the darkness. Uh, She's one of the uh, earlier historical female demons, I guess, within uh, ancient Motesopotamia religion. So 
Um, is that uh, I was kind of surprised, you know, to look at this list and see, for instance, that they have things on, uh, they call out things in Irish folklore, like we've all heard of a banshee, you know, the screaming banshee in the night, uh, that that technically classifies as a demon uh, in Irish mythology because, uh, you know, it's an entity without a body. Yeah, but uh, so those are more she's and she's are they're they're more related to the realms of fairy more so than they are uh, the demonic. But I think that the the combination of Irish uh, folklore combined with, uh, you know, the rampant use of Catholicism has made some really kind of interesting blends that you'll find. Uh, But there's actually like. Ireland's really interesting when it comes to demons uh, because you'll find like modern tales of exorcism in which they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm going back to the old country. And it's referring to the uh, to the woods of Ireland for some strange reason. Huh. Yeah. And I did come across uh, some <clears throat> uh, Catholic um, fathers that do that have done recent, uh, you know, um, exorcisms there in Ireland. Uh, but what is what is the current status on that? Because it seems like there's such a culture clash. You know, there's um, you know, you, when you start to talk about people who are possessed, you know, there is a wide range of studied mental health issues that, uh, you know, humans succumb to. You know, there are patterns uh, that you can look at and discern that, you know, these five these hundred individuals are all doing something similar and their brain is working this way. And, you know, so there's kind of this cross between where you get into this, you know, the science of why a human acts the way they do. And then, uh, sort of the, uh, the other side of things that if you take from more of a the logical point of view that this could be a demon. If you believe in demons and you've read those texts and you believe that that's the, the cause of somebody acting the way they're acting, what's your take on that? Yep. Uh, so, you know, of course, you know, early in the Catholic church's life, um, you know, there were tons and tons of cases of uh, demonic possession. Even if you look at, the modern Catholic Church in uh, Vatican City or Italy, there are still numerous exorcisms taking place uh, on a daily basis. Um, but here, at least in the U.S. and other uh, countries that are removed from Vatican City, um, the Catholic Church has adopted kind of a standoffish position against uh, exorcism. Uh, in fact, in order for the church to deem that an exorcism is necessary, uh, they would normally go through multiple rounds of um, physical testing, of uh, mental evaluation and only after those things have been rolled out will a the church actually uh, bless an exorcism to happen in fact a church has to bless an exorcism uh, and actually sanction an exorcism to happen otherwise it uh, probably will never never work but for me so for example like on netflix there's actually a um uh, a, a new documentary that came out, which is uh, from the director of the original Exorcist, and he goes to the head um, exorcist in Vatican City um, and actually uh, films uh, what a modern exorcism the heat that takes place, and it's vastly different than what you would expect. If you've read, you know, anything from Malachi Martin or looked at modern procedures that most dioceses in the U S have set up, they are very stringent, very strict. Whereas you watch this documentary and it seems like, Oh, well, if this person decides he wants to do an exorcism, then he can do it. And there's really no testing or anything else involved. Um, so it's that second set that makes me vastly uncomfortable. Um, I think that it is, there's the vast majority of times, everything is going to be described as either a physical ailment or a mental ailment. It's only in the, you know, one half of one half of 1% would anything ever fall into the realm of the preternatural. 
Right, right. All right, we are with JJ from Southern Demonology, and uh, you're listening to Spirits and More Radio. We're going to take a quick break, just a couple, 24 seconds here, so uh, we'll be right back after this. You are listening to Spirits and More Radio. Have a paranormal story? Tell us at spooksandspirits.com. and more radio <clears throat> we are talking about demons today you guys and uh this stuff goes way back uh i think you know in our modern society today it's you know the place of demons for most people rest within the realm of horror movies halloween time that sort of thing uh but uh as as jj's been explaining in other parts of the world now with outside outside of the united states uh they're is evidence that there's tendency to lean towards uh, demon demonic possession, uh, and at least within the Catholic Church, the the use of a ritual, um, you know, to exercise out the demon. Um, I wanted to ask you. We were talking about mental health there for a second. Um, for instance, and I'll just give this as an example. Uh, if you've kept up with the news, there's been a uh, there's been a, a a number of U.S. diplomats that were stationed in Cuba that started to hear funny sounds and, and they were really sick. They became sick, memory loss, damage, actual damage to their brain when they did an MRI on them uh, and CT scans. And that also happened in, uh, I believe it was in China, they started to experience the same thing. Uh, yep. scientists have been uh, researching to try and figure that out. And I just read an article released yesterday uh, from someone who's, uh, you know, um, on the neurological side of science who believes that these are classic symptoms of pulsed microwave radiation. So essentially, you know, we're talking about how your microwave cooks food, you know, how, uh, how microwave is used to transmit, you know, communications around the world. Uh, for some reason, these people in this location are displaying those sorts of things. But as part of that, they're hearing stuff that's not there. They're hearing strange sounds. And you have to wonder to yourself, you know, if you were in a house in the countryside or whatnot, and that started to happen to you, you know, you're going to go searching for answers. And I think what you're saying is that in some parts of the world, they're less discerning to jump to a conclusion that this is a demonic possession as, a, as opposed to some sort of uh, other uh, physical and medical, you know, uh, diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you, you'll find that tendency a lot. If there's a you know a locale or a country in which has a solid base of a particular religion and people are much more open to spirit, uh, spiritualistic concepts, then you'll find people gravitate more often to that explanation rather than trying to look for some other parameters that might be responsible for that. Yeah. So is there, um, and I was curious about this, you know, you go online and obviously the internet, as it matures, uh, we all have learned to take everything with a grain of salt. So, um, but as I look at this list, it's interesting, um, people, you know, I think who don't study, you know, anything to do with demonology, uh, don't necessarily know the difference, uh, when you talk about the devil, you know, we think of like when you see the exorcist, you make this assumption, this is the devil speaking through this child, you know, are all demons, you know, they don't in the list, there's the devil specifically called out. So 
as we sort of uh, explore demonology, how does the the devil or the fallen angel fall into this category of demonology? Yep, that's a great question. So you'll find, you know, the, the you know various religions have come up with uh, rank and file uh, lists of. Uh, whether it be angels or demons or whatever it may be. Um, and most people, uh, when they think about uh, possession, they'll instantly assume that, oh, it must be the devil you know, uh, himself that is actually doing this. And it's, it's not actually. Uh, in fact, only the most rare and extreme cases have ever has the priest ever really identified the you know the uh, possessing spirit to actually be uh, Lucifer or Samael uh, it's you know himself uh, usually it's um, another nameless demon uh, or in actually as reported in um, Malachi Martin's book now it could be the um, uh, in the adjunct of a demon kind of like a, a minor demon that's doing the work for a major demon. I see. So is there, um, and, and that, that comes, that circles back around to, you know, human perception. How would somebody know who or what entity they're dealing with? Again, this is a, this is a big long list of names here, you know? It is. And uh, honestly, I don't know how much veracity you could ever put into one of those uh, lists. You know, we, we like, for example, a lot of religious writings, we have the names of the archangels. Um, everyone knows who, you know, Michael, Gabriel, uh, Raphael, Uriel um, happen to be. And their names are very uh, symptomatic of the spheres of influence that they have. So, you know, Gabriel is Gabriel, which means the the mighty warrior of God. Uh, Michael um, is Mikael, who is like God. And you'll find the same thing on the demonic side as well. Like Samael is the gall of God. So anything that ends with an L and happens to be a demon is, is a very specific, um, they have a very specific sphere of influence that they happen to do. Um, and then you'll find, you know, other um, demons written either in magical grimoires that you'll find written between, you know, in the uh, Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, um, etc. But and I've completely forgotten the original question. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about how the actual like we talk about the devil, because, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's just common it's a common, uh, you know, thought that, you know, evil, the devil's behind evil, you know, the devil, oh, you know, yeah. the devil's playground, you know, you have spare time on your hands, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, when you see someone having some sort of, uh, or again, it's very, I think it's very rare. I think it's, you know, it's not very common for people, um, to, to exhibit the specific things that we associate with being, possessed by some sort of demon or demonic entity. Um, you know, I think, I think that, uh, a lot of times the first step is you take your child or your father or your mother or your sister to the doctor and you say they're not acting right and they're doing this and they're doing that, you know? And I think that there's, uh, I, I guess what I'm most interested in is, you know, there, there's a fine, there's a line in the sand between things that people do and exhibit from mental illness for example, let's just talk about for a second hypnosis. You know, there isn't a medical, I've done some research and there's not really like a medical explanation for his, hypnosis in the sense that people are suggestible. However, there has been a recent study done at a university uh, where the MRI exposes a different part of your brain functioning and working during hypnosis than when you're not hypnotized. So, uh, you know, people can fall under hypnosis and suggestion. And it's said that this is sort of like they're, they know what's expected of them. You know, they know that a lot of people have seen a hypnosis stage show. They go to it. They know what's expected of them. Yet there's this other part of their brain sort of operating at this moment, at that moment in time. So you kind of have to wonder, like, you know, when somebody is pulled aside and, you know, maybe grandma has said, you know, oh my God, there might be a demon inside you. 
you know, and you've seen the exorcist, you know, uh, that makes me wonder if, if the human mind is sort of playing along and going along with the things we expect to see and hear, you know, uh, with a, with a demonic possession. So where the line in the sand is, if someone does something supernatural, you know, if somebody speaks a language they don't speak, if somebody can climb up a wall backwards on their palms, <laughs> you know, these are the sort of things where there is definitely something going on beyond mental health issues. Right. Yeah. So we typically it's, it's not just that a person isn't acting right. Uh, typically in almost all cases of possession, it's where the person has somehow invited something into themselves. Um, and, you know, it can be a silent agreement. It can be a verbal agreement, whatever it happened to be. But at that point, once a person has accepted this entity inside, then their free will is pretty much overridden. Uh, to the point where a lot of these people that have, you know, have written uh, tales and accounts about, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm <laughs> silence now. Um, but a lot of people that have written tales and accounts of this, or other people that have, you know, witnessed the events, they describe where there are periods of lucidity where they know what they're doing, who they are, and then they're, and after being um, exercised, there are vast swaths of information that they simply no longer have. It's like they have been submerged into unconsciousness and they don't know what they've done or who, you know, or, or who they've been with, et cetera. Uh, and there's some, tr I think that's one of the most frightening aspects of it, where if you take this to be a situation that can actually occur, um, to, to think that you are no longer in control of your own self. That is a truly frightening experience. Yeah, I agree. Now, do you in your research and your studies, have you come across lots of personal accounts of people who have been, uh, you know, possessed and then experienced an exorcism? Is that out there? Are there some cases that you've that you can reference or that you're thinking of specifically? Yeah, so most of my knowledge when it comes to modern day exorcism uh, really comes from the writings of Malachi Martin, um, and it's a very biased viewpoint. Uh, at times, you know, he's been accused of having a very specific agenda, etc., and he's kind of a very controversial figure within the Catholic Church. But he wrote some really fascinating uh, books, and one of them, The Hostage to the Devil, he goes through really six different uh, cases of possession and shows, you know, takes it from the possessed person standpoint, from the priest standpoint who conducted the exorcism, uh, and then and afterwards that kind of looks at what happened after that uh, exorcism took place. And... Um, yeah, and each one of those experiences are vastly different. Uh, some of these people fell into theological traps. Uh, some of these people uh, would, you know, they started to get into uh, postmodern philosophy, and that kind of led them down this path. And then there are other symptoms in which um, when the author is going through it, um, it identifies that there's no rhyme or reason why someone gets possessed. Um, it's kind of faded from the moment that they are born that this is going to happen to them. Uh, but then again, all of this is kind of wrapped up in the cloud of mystery because if you take that possession can happen, if you take that you can talk to a demon through the possessed person, can you ever truly trust what in the world is coming out of its mouth? So uh, <laughs> it's something that, you know, it, it's very kind of up in the air. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, as you were talking about that, I was sort of thinking, you know, demons really play into uh, sort of this uh, ethos of good and evil. And, you know, that's one of the big things that uh, within at least uh, the Catholic Church, uh, there's been some, you know, sort of like criticism 
criticism from the outside that there's this pressure. You know, if you don't do this for God, you are in risk of ending up in hell. And demons are a great big pool sitting there in hell ready to take over and get you, you know. Um, how much of that do you think, uh, or I guess this sort of the evil side of things that we're talking about, um, you know, uh, is maybe amplified you know, over time within stories and so forth, uh, as sort of, uh, you better be a good person or this will get you. Uh, it's so, yeah, I mean, demon, demons can be anything from a cautionary tale to, uh, a, uh, you know, a, a negative reinforcement to, you know, you better not do this or this is going to happen to you. Um, and also parables in which, you know, this is something that happened and it was demonically influenced and, uh, you know, you better learn the lesson from this. Uh, and they all kind of get wrapped up, um, with uh, re with retelling that and there are so many different religious works that you know will have these kind of concepts in them that they all blend into the background um in fact and this is something that i would love to have the time to do um there are frozen fragments of these concepts and ideas that are found within second temple judaism that have been floated up to the modern day uh, Catholic Church um, and to a lot of other religions as well, but especially the Catholic Church, they will rely upon these concepts that were set forth, you know, over 2,000 years ago, and but they're never truly examined. You can't really unearth it and say this is the reason why we believe this or this tale has really come to us. Um, and it would be really kind of interesting, more of like a doctoral thesis, to be able to try to tease a lot of those threads apart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and one of the things as I sort of looked at the research of this is that, uh, like, for instance, it said in uh, in Buddhism, you know, there is some concept of a demon, but they don't really uh, go either good or bad because I guess there's no good or bad within that faith. Um, so a demon within their realm isn't like a demon within, you know, the Jewish faith or, you know, Christianity. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of strands. I think that within, you know, you'll find that to be the case within like Nichiren Buddhism um, or, you know, pure land Buddhism. But then if you go into more Tibetan Buddhism, there's a, a you know, that's where you find a plethora of tales about uh, you know, demons and demonic forces. Uh, but then again, I, I, I have no subject matter expertise in that, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is there, as we talk about, I kind of touched upon some of these like uh, supernatural abilities. Has anyone truly documented something like that other than a witness account? And I think what I'm kind of getting to is uh, if you're you're probably familiar with the release of uh, of uh, uh, the, the movie Demon House on Netflix by uh, Zach Bagans. And uh, that story centers around a family, a mod, this is a modern day demon tale or a possession tale uh, that is sort of backed up by some social workers as well as some police officers that supposedly witnessed this girl walking backwards up a wall. Are you familiar with that? Mm. I'm not. Um, in fact, I will go check that out tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, to your question, there there have been uh, a lot of cases of documentation around this. In fact, there are uh, some very prescriptive manners that uh, the Catholic Church will impart to an exorcist. You know, for example, uh, when you perform an exorcism, you want to make sure that it is in a stripped bare room um, where – uh, nothing can fly about because there's a lot of cases where, you know, beds were levitate, uh, drawers were open and closed by themselves, objects would go flying around, uh, the room grows extremely cold, etc. Uh, you want to make sure that the person who is being um, exercised is uh, restrained. Um, the, and that's also why an exorcist will have uh, several different um, – 
assistance uh, with him or her with him. Uh, there is no her in that case. I'm sorry. Uh, where uh, they their jobs are to a make sure that the health of the um, of the exorcist is um, is being uh, observed that. To uh, they are properly restrained at all times. Uh, that they assist with providing extra restraints in case something is going horribly wrong. Like for example, in the original um, Exorcist tale, not the story, but the actual story—not the book, but the real story—there um, was a um, a uh, um, um, a Protestant priest that was called in. Uh, I think. A Episcopalian, but I don't remember for sure, uh, that was called in to try to do some type of exorcism. Um, and the, um, the boy actually ripped a bed spring out from the bed, stabbed it, and ripped down the uh, priest's forearm, uh, where, and he had to be immediately rushed off to the hospital. Wow, that's crazy. Where can we, where, where was that? Where did you reference uh, that? That uh, there's a couple of different uh, documentaries on it. There's um, uh, but it's the it's the actual um story of uh, the uh, events that inspired the Exorcist movie. Of course, the Exorcist movie is completely made up, and there's so little um you know, a uh, correlation between the actual story and the book itself. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. I'll have to, I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. Yeah. That would be great if we could tweet that out or throw that up on one of your website or my website. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> one of the things I think about when you talk about this is, uh, you know, uh, you're referencing sort of the exorcism movie and how different that was from the book. Um, and then you're also talk about, uh, sort of the, like what happens within an exorcism? Like you're talking about this kid stabbing somebody with a bedspring. Um, I read some things I was, there's, there's a, and again, I, you know, I almost don't want to say the name of this website because I don't know how legit it is. <laughs> you know, there's so many websites that are out looking for clicks and, um, I'll just say, it. I don't know how, I don't know much about this website, but the Catholic news agency website, CNA has, if you put the tag in for demon, you get lots of stuff on there and they reference many of these fathers that reside within, like you said, Vatican city over in Italy and what they've seen and what they've said. And, uh, one of them it's, it's interesting or funny because you talk about like the threshold for what is a possession. Uh, this particular, uh, father, I think it's father DeMeo, uh, you know, was talking about how he witnessed, you know, someone talking, this person was cussing, essentially using bad language towards him and said he was going to die in a car accident and smiled and was happy about that. And that was sort of the threshold for, you know, he felt really threatened that this was a demon. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, you know, how many people are there on the street that have, uh, you know, will curse at you and tell you stuff, you know, uh, exactly. for, for various reasons. And there's another thing, and I want to get your take on this. Have you seen these videos on YouTube where the author of the video claims that magicians like street magic guys are actually demons. Have you seen any of those videos? No, I haven't. I have seen other videos which supposedly capture like demonic activity and every single one of those are hoaxes. Yeah. Well, this guy, this particular account, and you can search it if you put magicians or demons is what is what you can search on YouTube. But this guy has like at least seven to 10 videos where he shows, you know, like your busker, like street magician that you would find in a local park or near a mm -hmm. tourist hub or whatnot. And he'll show video of that and then talk about how the things the person is doing can only be done with the help of a demon, you know? Uh, and then he talks about props and he says, Oh, if a magician has these props to accomplish these things, uh, you know, these are clearly just to distract you from the fact that it's really a demon giving him these magical powers 
to oh, be able wow. to levitate things and make things disappear. And that kind of hits close to home for me because I've been interested in magic since I was a kid. I'm a magician member of the Magic Castle in Hollywood. And, you know, oh, I, have that's a, awesome. I have a pretty extensive knowledge base on illusions and how to accomplish things and, you know, seeing other magicians do things. And it's just really amusing to see that this person's, you know, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know if they're doing it just to be dramatic and get those clicks or if they really believe it, but they've got a group of people that comment that go, oh my gosh, you're right. This must be a demon that's allowing this guy to levitate a rubber band or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, you. I swear you can find, if you come up with any harebrained concept, then you'll find an entire group of people that support them. In fact, uh, at my at my day job, uh, we were talking about a, a new, well, I don't know how new it is, but a group of people that believe um, that uh, anytime someone, you know, has an involuntary reaction, then that is a sign that that person is. And we're at the one hour mark. This fascinating interview does continue for our full access overtime members. To get full access, simply go to our website at spiritsandmoreradio.com. Under the full access section, you'll see an orange Patreon button. Click on that to find out more and hear the rest of the show. You can also join our live broadcast alert list. We email the day of the show when we are going to broadcast live so you can tune in and hear the full show and also have the opportunity to call in. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Closing time, open all the doors and let you 